Podcast 23. It is a Jet Seattle review here on the Fake Spike Podcast. Vort, before we get started and I let you give your thoughts, I am just going to give you the credit. You almost nailed the score. You nailed the feel. You had uh, you, you pretty much hit this one right on the head. So I will uh, I will give you your props before we get started, and then we'll move along. So uh, what's going on, man? I will gladly take the props. Even the broken clock is right twice a day, and that was my one. That was the time I was right for once, and I'll take it. Yeah, I mean you you uh you said thirty seven to six. So if you uh, switch field goals up, you got forty to three. You know you were pretty damn close, man. Not not too bad. Very impressive. One day, one day I'll get the score right in the nose and impress the hell out of you. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Good job. Well, what I can say is that this was the Raider game we expected last week. And you said that in the last podcast. So again, props. This was the game I expected last week against the Raiders. You know, good team coming off of a bad game, taking it out on the Jets, smoking them from start to finish. And this was even the slow methodical thing you mentioned in the Raider game where, you know, they would just grind the Jets into the ground and, and have long drives and blah, 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 blah. They did all of that. And, uh, you know, I was a week early on it. And I wanted to go this way for this game, too. I said it should be that way, but I just refused to allow myself to do it. So I kind of outsmarted myself. So this was this was a disaster, man. This was the worst game they've played all year. And we keep saying that, but this was the worst one. The, this was just, again, I feel like I say this every week. I thought we've hit rock bottom. Apparently not. This was just... They took a shit on top of our head. They smudged it all over our face. And then they kicked <laughs> us in the nuts on the way out the door. It was just horrendous to watch from offense, defense, even the special teams got in on the act. A lot of a lot to dissect. I just wanted to kind of throw out a few bullet points that I want to touch on during the podcast. Uh, the first thing is just the fact, the fact that the team didn't show up at all. And logically, you would think if the guys haven't, if the team hasn't quit on the head coach, after the coach makes such a bold decision to fire the defensive coordinator, the team is supposed to rally around him. I don't expect a win, but there should have been something, something, something positive, something for us to talk about, something for Gase to hang his hat on and say, like the team responded to the firing of the defensive coordinator. They rallied around it. Uh, we saw. Jamal Adams have a solid game, and his sack, I believe he became the all-time, uh, he set a record for most sacks in the season by the defensive back, and of course the record gets set against the Jets. Uh, yeah, that was such a bullshit sack. I don't know if you saw it. I know you said it was, he, he, got, he, he got pushed out of bounds, but it was behind the line of scrimmage. But listen, a sack no, is a he sack. He didn't even and, get pushed out of bounds. Jamal Adams barely touched him. He ran, he, he ran out of bounds himself rather than getting hit. He barely was even touched. It was, I, Strahan was a more legitimate sack than this. This was bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> and then the ultimate kick in the nuts was to get blown out that bad that we had to watch Geno Smith get in the game. Geno fucking Smith got in a game to to finish it out against the Jets. That was just the ultimate fuck you. I didn't even realize the guy was still in the league. And then I see him warming up. I see him coming into the game. Uh, Adam, yeah, he led them to a field goal when I had the over, that bastard. <laughs> Adam Gase was the Adam Gase you've been talking about the whole year. As soon as something went wrong, he... It's it's exactly the same thing you've been talking about all year when the slide began. Something goes wrong, he goes into a shell. 
the special teams got in on the act. I actually want to talk to you about um, the, the news that the Jets brought in, brought in a new kicker today. I want to touch on that a little bit later and how pointless it is instead of letting this guy, because he's been a pr- pretty good kicker this season. And even though this was a horrendous game, if the Jets were in a playoff race, yeah, I get it. You can't take those chances. Bring in a new kicker right away. The, there's always a bunch of kickers available, veterans, young guys. But him having a decent season on a team that's going nowhere, give him a week to respond. If he if he proves to be mentally shot this upcoming week and he's done, fine, move on. But let's see if the kid is let's see if the kid has a backbone. Let's see if he responds. How are you gonna cut him after yeah. one bad game? Uh, but again, we're talking yeah, about I kickers. I don't agree with that at all. Who cares? The guy's already their backup kicker. Their their regular kicker was has been on injured reserve. I I I, I really I listen. I, I, I you have a very valid point because the Jets, you know, knee jerk reactions. God forbid he cost Adam Gase the chance of staying within thirty points. You know, but I I don't, I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit about the kicker. This is not like some some kid that can go somewhere. Somebody the, the guy was thirty years old. He's been bouncing around different leagues. I mean, I, I don't. I just don't. You're care right enough about the kicker. To I'm care possibly nitpicking. You're right. You're right and 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 you have every right to nitpick i'm just saying i don't i don't care about that at all it doesn't bother me in the least but my biggest takeaway and the biggest thing that i wanted to discuss with you that uh that i took away from this week is last week uh after the loss of the raiders adam gase makes a decision and he apparently has the power to make the decision to fire a defensive coordinator based on one bad play call that results in a loss so one loss uh gets pinned on a defensive coordinator, he's fired. The team was supposed to respond. They play their shittiest, most embarrassing game of the season, where, again, I'll say it again, the, the team got their teeth kicked in from pillar to post. It was embarrassing. It was unwatchable. It was watching two teams that didn't even belong on the field together. Why is Adam Gase not fired a day after that game? Where's the logic? There is none. And the only logic that's left is that the Jets absolutely refuse to fire a coach in the middle of the season. Now, I, that obviously doesn't apply to um, to position coaches or coordinators, but it certainly applies to head coaches. They've never fired a coach in the middle of the season. And this this is the worst I've seen it. But there have been times where we're like, wow, how does this guy keep his job when Todd Bowles was the coach? It was it was that way in the in the eighties and nineties. Joe Walton and Bruce Cosler, these guys, Rich were, these guys were really bad. Rich coming yeah, Rich Kotai. Um, I mean that's that's true. I didn't, I didn't even bring him up, but that can be the only possible thing left because every reputable source talks about how the Jets are firing Adam Gase at the end of the season. It's a done deal. There is no question whatsoever. There is nobody saying except for paranoid fans. There is nobody saying that. You know, there's a chance Adam Gase is sticking around. Everybody in the media has been on this for weeks now, and it's pretty much a foregone conclusion. So why why he still has his job can only be that Chris Johnson will not admit his mistake and wants to do the classy thing and not fire him midseason. But it, it is it is setting them back. They've destroyed the quarterback. They've destroyed any chance they're going to get any kind of decent haul for him. And at this point now, I would be shocked if they got a fourth round pick for him because if a team wants to spend a fourth round pick they'll just go they'll just go draft a rookie quarterback and develop him why would they why would they trade for a guy now who's going to be due a bunch of money i just you know he's going to be he's going to be someone's backup the jets are going to you know what's going to happen now the jets are going to end up cutting him and taking a cap hit or they're just going to keep him to compete with lawrence give lawrence a job sam donald will be a backup and go somewhere as a free agent the jets have destroyed this kid 100% agreed and what a what a great point you just made 
the kid goes from being a potential tradable asset. I'm not talking about a first round pick, possibly not even a second, but it was within the realm of possibility to think we might get a second round pick, possibly a third. He is now a fourth, fifth, or a sixth round type of a draft pick if you're talking trade. And you just brought up an excellent point. Why are you going to pay up? Pay up for a guy with NFL experience and give up a fourth round pick, fifth round pick, but you can use that pick on a rookie on a minimal financial hit and see if you can strike lightning in the bottle and develop him on your own instead of trying to fix damaged goods. That is an absolutely spot on point. I think there is no way the Jets can keep him. If you let him compete with Trevor Lawrence, you risk... You kind of stunting Trevor Lawrence's development. If you go with Trevor Lawrence, you got to be all in and say, kid, this is your bus. Drive it. Uh, there, there's no competition. There, there, there's nothing. You're not competing with the quarterback that just went 0-16. It's your team. So that is such a solid point on, on your end. Um, yeah, the thing is, though, is is, is the point about the Jets destroying him and, and dis- killing all trade value is so freaking right. I mean, from both of us, we've both been saying it. We, we started the year saying, hopefully we can get a late first. Maybe we'll take a second. Then it was like, well, they have now gotten it to the point where nobody is going to take a chance on his on damaged goods because only because they know that the Jets will eventually have to cut him. They know they're not keeping him. So the Jets have if the Jets were playing poker, they would have basically jumped up and yelled when they got when they got dealt three of a kind and went, Yeah, and everybody now knows what they have. That's exactly what's happening here. The Jets have painted themselves into a corner and they're gonna get nothing for Donald except maybe a late round conditional pick if they're lucky at this point. Dude, you're giving Jets too much credit. If the Jets were playing poker, they're the guy that gets two seven offsuit pre flop and pushes all in. That's that's what I see the Jets doing. Well, I, was, uh, I was trying to go. I was trying to go with a bad poker face, but yeah, they would do that too. <laughs> but uh, I always like to start these recaps with a little bit of positive, a little bit of negative, and if you have any positives, any at all from this week, please, I'd love to hear them. I do have some positives. They are not like super strong positives, and they and. Every positive I have was eventually destroyed by Adam Gase basically sticking his heel in and digging it out like he was putting out a cigarette. But the Jets actually started out okay. They they marched down the field on the first drive, kicked the field goal, which which is what they do. Then you know Seattle marched down the field, which is fine. You I I knew this was going to be a shootout if the Jets were going to score. They weren't holding Seattle under thirty or thirty five no matter what. So at seven three, I was okay. And then you know Seattle gets the ball back and the Jets pick the ball off right at that point. I'm thinking, all right, I was right. The Jets are going to hang in this game and they're going to actually compete. So we, we forget with, with the way they fell apart, we forget that the Jets actually started out fairly strong. Now, not strong in the sense where they were, where they could compete, but strong in the sense that they were an 0-12 team playing a very good team on the road and they actually were in the game, picked the ball off and had momentum. A couple of other positive things I picked up on is uh, Berrios had a couple of nice catches. This other kid running kicks back ran, ran, I mean, he fumbled once, but he ran a kick back to the 30. Yes. Uh, the yes. Jets had a couple of big plays that they then went straight into freaking conservative mode and ended up settling for field goals. They could never get any momentum at all. Anytime the Jets made a nice play, they would they would shoot themselves in the foot of a penalty. They'd end up with a with a sack or or a a field goal attempt. So if you're looking for positives, they are very small positives. It wasn't a 100% miserable performance by the offense. They had some 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 little things here and there where things would happen and they just never took advantage. That that and that's really the only positive I have. There was nothing else. Special teams was bad except for that big run back. The defense was terrible. The offense was brutal. 
and, and that that's really about it. I mean, I just all I have is is little things I made about how fucking dumb Adam Gase is. And it's not the usual shit. I got a couple of little things that, you know, the average person may not pick up on, but I'm looking for them with this guy. I, I do agree with you. I It slipped my mind. Marcus May made a fantastic pick. And when that play happened, I kind of slapped my knee and, and said to myself, uh, wow, I really missed on this. And it looks like they showed up and they're going to at least put up a fight. I wasn't thinking when, but when that INT happened, I kind of sat back and said, wow, they're really going to go balls to the wall and, get, and make this a game. About two hours later, I was scratching my head and wondering what the fuck Twilight Zone am I living in? That's pretty much the only positive that I was able to take away. The Jets sucked me in before the game, and they sucked probably a couple of people in during the first quarter. But I got I got roped into thinking that, you know, that that last that two weeks ago in Miami might have been the aberration, and then those those positive steps they took with Flacco, and then last week were the direction they were headed, and that maybe they would com- compete, but. I, you know, I, I was wrong. I was totally wrong. I bought into the fact that maybe the Jets would do something. And it turns out that they all they did was just have a, a lightning in a bottle game or a couple of lightning in a bottle games and and just reverted back to absolute disgusting freaking. I mean, the offense is just so predictable, boring, and and it, it is it's impossible to watch. It's painful. The offense is completely unwatchable, completely unwatchable. It's predictable, but... We've covered it many times, but it was just unwatchable. But at halftime, by the time the game got to halftime, I was giggling like a little kid. I, I was thinking of you, and I was thinking how well you taught me to be a Jets fan because I was like, of all the people, of all the people that I know, Rob actually thought that they're gonna show up. This is the guy who taught me that just when, just when they give you that glimmer of hope, that light, that you think something good. They have something to build on. Something positive is going to come. We're not talking wins. We're talking something positive. They didn't take a step back. They fell off a goddamn cliff. And that, I literally channeled all the lessons of all these years you've instilled in me as a Jet fan. And I and I expected this, and when it happened, I was just I wasn't even surprised. I didn't smile to myself or pat myself on the back. I literally said, "Yeah, yeah, this is what." Rob has told me all his life, this is what being a Jet fan is. Just when they give you some positive, they will take such an enormous step back that you'll want to put a bullet in your head. And that's exactly that's exactly what happened this week. The thing is, is I got sucked in by the fact that, you know, I, I wasn't looking at the public perception because usually the public perception is what drives this. The public thinks the Jets are going to do well and they don't. It was me. In my head, I felt like the Jets should get absolutely killed by Seattle. And I psyched myself out because I predicted the same thing last week. I didn't want to come in predicting the same thing this week. And in my head, I feel like that whenever the Jets are expected to get killed, they show up and 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 fuck around and almost win, you know? And so that's what I saw coming. I, I totally out, outsmarted myself. I really should have just gone with the initial instinct was that there's no way they hang with this team. And what the hell I was doing trying to dance around picking a win, I have no idea. It was just stupid. Dumb. <laughs> and, and I'm a Jets media mogul. You know, <laughs> I, have, I have podcasts and Facebook pages and articles and, and, and YouTube. And I'm, the one, and I'm the one who misread them completely. Unbelievable. Listen, both of us said when we were approaching uh, 08, 09, 010, both of us mentioned it a couple of times that there is going to be a game that we're going to go out on a limb and pick a win. I, I went for it. I kind of took the punks easy way out and um, I went against Miami. That didn't pan out. You you took an ultimate gamble and said they're going to show up and maybe shock the world against Seattle. But yeah, we both took a stab at it and uh, the Jets 
did what the Jets do best. They they choked, they didn't show up, and at the end of the day, they took another loss. Absolutely. All right, let's do some game stuff now. I um I, I my notes here, I have that um Jamal, Jamal dropped a pick six. I mean, I don't know if you saw that play, but the yeah, guy did. had it in red basket. And I don't know why he jumped. He jumped up, but the ball, the ball hit him. But even when he jumped, the ball hit him in the midsection. So he could have just stood there, grabbed the ball with his hands right, probably at about chest level, and then and then run to the end zone. There was nobody in front of him. So, I mean, that's Jamal Adams for you. When that play happened, I thought to myself, wow, I bet it's Jamal Adams. And as soon as they said that's Adams, I texted you instantly and I said, Robbo, Adams just robbed me of my glory moment because I I predicted he was going to have an INT close enough. That's the other thing about Donald yesterday. Donald, not only are his stats terrible, I mean, he, again, did not hit 200 yards. Obviously, didn't throw a touchdown pass. He only scored three points. He was awful. And he had three interceptions that were dropped. Three. Two of them were blatant, like, oh, my God, they're in your hands. Dropped and Another one should have been caught. Three times, Donald should have been intercepted. So can you imagine his stat line from yesterday and add even two? Let's just say two interceptions to it. He he is such a mess right now. It's not even, you know, it's, it's not even worth talking about anymore. He's just terrible. What I noticed about Darnold, and I know it's, it's it's not the first game that it happened, but this is the first game that I really focused on it and saw it happening. That kid, like you said, to, to steal your line, he's so lost and confused right now. He drops back. And as soon as his first, uh, his first primary read is covered, he doesn't progress. He starts pumping, dancing. It's not like when you see a seasoned quarterback who drops back, primary is covered, and go through your progressions, whether it's the second, the third, or even if you take a uh, little uh, slide step to the right, to the left, and throw the ball out of bounds. As soon as he finishes his drop back and his primary is covered, he starts hitching, pumping, dancing. He's like a deer in the headlights as soon as his number one target is covered. It was just, I don't know if it was sad to watch, if it was pathetic to watch, it was somewhere in between, but it was just... I felt sad. It was just like, wow, this is just a year ago. We were talking about this kid as our future. He showed enough. It was just terrible. He has zero confidence and probably even a little bit less than that. He's got no pocket awareness either. He's got no pocket. Um, yeah, maybe awareness is not the way it's got it. Yeah, pocket awareness is probably the word where he, he, like you, you mentioned, take a slide step right now. If if you're standing there, you look at your first, you look at your second, and you feel the pocket start to break, then you, you look, you take a step sideways and look for another guy. He doesn't do that. He immediately, as you said, he'll panic, run around, or he'll hold the ball too long and take the sack, or he breaks out, runs off to the side, and then he cuts off half the field like that. Now, not now, sometimes that's legitimate, but other times the pocket is not breaking down, and that's one of the things I illustrated in, in the. I think it was the yeah, it was a Miami game where he he immediately left the pocket for no reason at all. The pocket wasn't breaking; it was starting to crack a little bit. But you know, if your pocket's just cracking and it's not breaking, you got plenty of time. And in the NFL, you know, those two seconds make all the difference. But he never looks for other receivers ever. And you know, yesterday he he, he made a really nice throw. I'm going to give him credit and trash him at the same time. He threw he uh, I think it was Berrios or no, it was Vincent Smith, number 16. It was one of those Smith kids. Jeff Smith, Vincent Smith, he threw the ball into triple coverage. Now, it wasn't triple coverage per se because the guy was open and Darnold threw it on a, on a, he threw it on a line, threw it between three guys where only his guy could catch it. So it was a nice throw. 
But if three guys are covering that guy, somebody somewhere else is probably open, you know? So even though that turned out to be a good play, and if I had more confidence in Darnold's ability to make those throws, that would be a fantastic throw. I think he probably just got lucky on that one. He saw his guy, he threw it in, and he got, you know, that one time where the shit sticks. You throw enough against the wall and it sticks. That was the one time. And that's what I noticed is he threw a really nice ball, but into, into an area where there were three guys. I think I know the play you're talking about, and it was literally, it's like me playing darts. I can't play darts for shit, but if you let me throw it a couple of thousand times, I might, by the sheer luck, I'll hit a bullseye. And that's what it was with him. I agree with you. It wasn't, it was, it was a good throw, but if you look deeper into it, it's like, yeah, you kind of just uh, throw and pray, and the prayer was answered. Let's talk off subject of how bad the Jets are for a second. Let's talk about how the fact that the Jets are bad does not enable them to get any calls at all because there were three pass interference calls that should have been made against him. One of them was one of the more blatant things. Any other team in the league gets the call every single time. The Jets didn't even get it. Uh, and in case you didn't see it, they threw a deep ball to Perriman. Right by the end zone, right? When the guy didn't even yeah. turn to look at the ball. Right on. The, the guy never turned to look at the ball. He also pulled Perriman's arm down to where Perriman was falling down. And they didn't. They didn't pull the flag out. I don't. I don't understand that. Two two other plays were similar. I mean, one of them, Berrios, the guy grabbed his shoulder and spun him around. Now they allow contact. They allow you to touch the guy as long as it doesn't impede him getting the ball. But when you when they when you grab him and pull the shoulder back and it and he changes course, that's at least a holding penalty. I mean, but the Jets don't get these calls, and that's a product of them being just a, a terrible, miserable team that that can't win a game. They're just not going to look for reasons to give Jets calls, and it and it's it, it's really sad because. It wasn't fair what they did to them yesterday. That was a terribly officiated game. I do agree with you. Uh, it's valid points. I don't think it's sour grapes. But I also, having watched sports for the past, I would say, what, 20, 25 years of my life, it's true. Bad teams don't get the calls. Good teams do. And when you combine a good team playing a bad team, it almost seems one-sided. But that's, I don't think yesterday was an aberration. That's just how sports is. The bad teams just... They're bad teams for a reason, and the refs are not, they don't have the playmakers, they don't have the big names uh, that the referees are kind of really focusing on. Can you, can you imagine the top wide receiver not getting that call? I can't. But when you have a bad team that's struggling, uh, you don't have any big names, any playmakers, yeah, it's like you said, the refs are not really looking for a reason to give you a play, to give you a lifeline, and... The three plays that you mentioned, I I believe I I clearly remember two of them. Definitely remember that one by the end zone, and yeah, the referees are simply. It's almost like they don't want to prolong the Jets' misery. Like you guys are gonna lose. Let's save an extra twelve minutes to this game. Let's not put a flag out. Let's not deliberate. Let's just move on. We all know how this is gonna end. Let's just move on. But this is not the Jordan rules we're talking about here. I understand. You know, there's a holding on every play if you want there to be. And if and if you know if this guy had turned around and they were battling and and he kind of pulled his arm down and whatever, and you just want to say it was incidental contact. They were both battling for the ball. I could buy that. This was completely blatant. The guy never turned around. He fell on him. His arm actually knocked Perriman's arm out of the way to where Perriman couldn't even try and lift his arm up for the ball. How is that not pass interference, no matter what Jordan rules you want to apply to it? That doesn't that doesn't make any sense at all. That's that's like a that's like butchering the integrity of the game by not doing that. Because I mean at the time the score might have been you know, 23 to three. What, what, what was that really going to do for the Jets? So I can understand wanting to get them out of there. You're going to lose anyway. But, you know, you got to call the really obvious ones. That was just, that, that was bullshit. 
you're spot on. You're absolutely spot on. And the, what also was a giveaway to me, a lot of times when a defensive back makes a play, you see them start celebrating, dancing, and then a flag comes in and they're absolutely pissed off, bewildered, angry. And this was the complete opposite. As soon as the ball fell as an incomplete pass, if you look at the defensive back sitting on the ground, the first thing he did is he looked at the ref. So it was like almost an admission of guilt saying, shit, is he going to call it? Is he going to call it? And after a couple of seconds, when the ref didn't reach for the flag, he started doing his little shoulder shimmy while sitting on his ass. So that was a, to me, that's always a bad, bad giveaway. When the first thing the guy does is if, if he feels he made a play, he's going to celebrate. And then he's going to argue with the ref and the, if the flag comes out. But when the first thing you do is look at the ref, just blatantly look at the ref, almost like anticipating the flag coming out. And then you start doing a shimmy, almost celebrating not the fact that you made the play, but the fact that you got away with one. Right. Yeah, that was... It's, uh, like, it's like the guys who do something and then stick their hands up to say, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. You know, like, exactly, like a, a holding exactly. penalty or a, or a face mask or something. Right. Yeah. All right. So gore. You're absolutely right that the we're just uh, trying to explain that away, but the reality is this is not something that should be explained away. That should have been a flag 10 out of 10 times. And you took us right into my next favorite topic. The workhorse was back, and Frank Gore showed us that he's still the man who's going to be the who's going to be Adam Gase's go-to guy in this offense. Absolutely unbelievable. Well, to be fair, he he got eight carries. One of the other kids got eight carries, and then the other one got seven. So it was fairly equal. However. However, Frank Gore did not get the first carry, but got every carry after that, even got a screen pass and then fumbled. And once he fumbled, his workload kind of went back a little. So I think, you know, maybe Gase is just that dumb that he's like, I'm going to wait until Gore gives me a reason not to do it. And then I'll get these guys involved, which is the total opposite of what he should be doing. But we did not see as much of Gore after that point. And, you know, at this point, the, the game, the, the team looks so much different. It's like it's a different game when those other two guys are running the ball as opposed to Gore. Gore has no burst anymore. He's got no, he doesn't, he doesn't have any speed. He's got, he's got, until the fumble, he's got reliability. He's got smarts, but he doesn't have any burst. And other than maybe being a bull, he doesn't have much else going for him. He's not evasive anymore. It's just, it doesn't make any sense that they're running this poor guy into the ground and it's not even helping them. Now, if, if Gore still had all of that and they were running him into the ground and he was old and you're like, Hey, why are they doing this to an old guy? That's one thing, but he doesn't. He doesn't. You got guys there who can do the job. And that's what last week showed. Last week showed that the young guys, yes, they might make some mistakes. They might miss a hole. They might miss an assignment. But there was that burst that they had the ability to make a 20, 25-yard run. And that, that brings the offense to life. That brings the offense to life. It just gives us that extra boost. And Gore doesn't have that. And last week against the Raiders, a couple of those plays, I mean, you get excited as a fan, as a teammate, I must assume as a coach, you get excited by those plays. And we're going to go back to the fact that in a lost season, I can live with the young running back missing an assignment, making a mistake, as long as he uses it as a learning experience. They are not learning nearly as much by being on the sidelines and watching Frank Gore plow his way for two or three yard runs just doesn't make any sense to me but I, at least i'm smart enough to i've stopped trying to make sense of it i've accepted the fact that this is the new normal as long as adam gase is calling the plays so at least i don't let that frustrate me but i just i wish i could see some sense of logic in it and i just can't 
there's never going to be with Gase. He's got his guys, and that's it. Now, remember, Parcells had his guys, and he would bring in these guys, and you'd be like, why is Keith Byers? He's 90. He's here. But Keith Byers was a contributor. He did well, and he wasn't the fucking focal point in the offense. There's one other Adam Gase point I wanted to make, and it's a small one, but it is just telling. At one point at this in the second quarter, right before the half, right there was 10 seconds left in the, in the half, and the Jets oh, had one, oh, one timeout. Yes, yes, right? yes. So there's, now there's two parts to this. There's the obvious one, which is that they're stupid enough to take a delay of game penalty or almost get a delay of game penalty. But at that point, you're on the 35. You're not in field goal range anyway. Why not take the five-yard penalty and keep the timeout? Why, why burn the timeout to save the five yards when you're not in field goal range and all you're looking to do is get in field goal range anyway? When you do that, you don't have the middle of the field anymore. You, you need to keep that timeout. Take the five-yard penalty. Who cares? Throw the ball anywhere you want. At least don't give the defense. Adam Gase gives the, def, gives the defense a clue what he's doing every single time with these stupid things. So it's dumb enough that you can't even get up to the, play, to the line in time to call the play, but then you take the, your last timeout and burn any chance you have of getting in field goal range. I just th- th- these little things drive me fucking crazy. Where your, your first instinct is to take the time out when you should. That's this is not something you need to reason for five minutes. This is something you say. Wait, I'd rather keep the time out. It's only five yards or not in field goal range. That took me about a second and a half. Take the fucking delay a game penalty. Get back into field goal range with, with, by throwing the ball in the middle of the field and letting your guy run and then call a timeout. There is no reason to do that. If not, I don't want to say it shows his ineptitude because. That's been shown a long time ago, but the way he continues to drive his ineptitude and prove himself to be incapable of not being just a head coach, but just being an NFL coach on any level is absolutely mind-boggling because the same thing as I was watching it, first I was I was obviously frustrated with Sam Darnold not being aware of the play clock, but also the first thought in my mind was, take the fucking five yards. At least you have the whole field to work with. 10 seconds, you can run an eight-second play Anywhere on the field, call a timeout, kick a field goal. No, burn the goddamn timeout, limit yourself to a stupid sideline pass, and get nothing out of it. And you know what? I didn't even think of till now, which, okay, great, it's a day later, but that was a long play. It was a long play for a first down. There's 10 seconds left in the half. Why not freaking, you know, I I guess it doesn't make sense to spike the ball. The the clock wasn't running. All right, so never mind. I was going to say spike the ball. You have no reason not to. The clock wasn't running. Guy got out of bounds, which makes it even more ridiculous that they ended up having to take a delay of game penalty but or almost taking the penalty. But, see, that's the thing I picked up on immediately was it's bad enough that the the, the Jets continue to get these delay of game penalties in, in, in Stop play where there's play stopped and the clock's not running. But to take the time out at that in that situation, it's just unforgivable. And of course, they they miss another field goal. I mean, one one other point about these missed field goals. I understand. Forget the kicker part of it. I mean, he he was terrible. He got cut. But we've never really spoken. And this, I guess, this is a compliment to Gase or maybe the players. We, we've kind of touched on how the players haven't given up on him because. You know, they don't know better and he gets rid of the players that do. But we've never really touched on how whether or not the players get dejected by things that happen in the games, because, you know, there's a lot of bad things. But three field goals in one quarter, that had to have some kind of effect on the psyche of the team. It had to. They, As much as it sucks that they can't get the ball into the end zone when they get down there, they got into field goal range three times in the same quarter against a team that was putting up touchdowns at will and they didn't and they couldn't get. And they couldn't even get the three points out of it. So how much does that affect the psyche of the team at that point? It has to, especially with a young T 
team, points are points. And anytime, even if you don't punch it into the end zone, it's, a, it's almost a consolation prize. Well, at least we got three. And a consolation prize is better than a fuck you and nothing at all. And when you, like you said, three times in one quarter, you bust your ass, you get, you get yourself in the position to get points. And the points is something. It's something to hang your hat on. Uh, something to hang your hat on. And the fact that they walked away with nothing three times was just, it had to have killed any morale that they had. I, I completely see it the same way as you. Fucking Jets. Anyway, two other minor points. Um, at, at one point, and at this game, the game was out of hand anyway, but it was third and seven, and the Jets actually sacked Wilson. But of course, there was an illegal contact penalty in the, in the secondary away from everything. It wasn't even close to anything that gave Seattle a first down, and that was their last touchdown. And... The, the, the Seattle pulled their guys in the third quarter. I mean, it was the end of the third quarter, minute, minute and a half, whatever. But I've never seen a team pull guys in the third quarter. That's how much it was 37 to three. That's how much Pete Carroll knew this was game was out of hand. And the Jets have a reputation for, for being dirty. He didn't want his guys getting hurt. So he's like, fuck you guys. I'm not even going to bother kicking your asses anymore. And he took everybody out. Usually they don't take them out to the fourth quarter. The Maybe fourth, they give them yeah. a drive in the fourth quarter, you know, something like that. But Third quarter, they took these guys out. Geno Smith and and every everybody was out of the game. Geno Smith and everybody was a in the game was a backup. The running back, the receivers, everybody. None of the starters were in the game at, at that point. You actually answered my next question before I had a chance to ask it, uh, which was the question was in a season full of lows, was this the lowest of the low? And then when you started talking about the fact that Seattle started pulling their starters in the third quarter. I instantly kind of chuckled to myself sitting here and said, yeah, yeah, Rob just answered my question. This was, this was absolutely the lowest of the low in a season full of them. It has to be because Seattle came out, said, we, you know, we took the Giants lightly. We're not going to do this again. They they had their way with the Jets. This was, this was, and this was a freaking, I hate to be so inappropriate, but this was a gang rape. They, they kicked the shit out of the Jets. Could have been much worse. It was 37 to three. And let's not forget that, you know, they got intercepted at one point. They missed a, they missed a, um, they missed a, an extra point. Um, I forget what else happened. Something else happened, you know, down the field with it where Seattle ended up not scoring. He ended up having a punt at one point, but it was 37 to three at near the end of the third quarter. It, this, it could have easily been 50 easily. And if if they would have stayed in the game and kept playing the right way, it would have been fifty. So this was this was this was three quarters, and they lost thirty seven to three. It, it's just it's beyond embarrassing at this point. It's just into comical. And at the same time, it's comical. I'm still getting angry watching these things. And and again, if on any normal week when when I cared, I would smash things. But I I, I it, but it's still frustrating. Now, I'm not as angry. I'm not as violently angry but i but it is still frustrating to watch this i still put my hands up in the air and say i can't believe what i'm watching here with this team more often than not and then you know their final drive there's four minutes left in the game and and they're just running the ball up the middle three uh, three yards cloud of dust two yards cloud of dust lose and then punt what is the point at least try at that point i mean i know and and i don't care i don't give a shit that you don't trust Darnold. I don't give a shit that that plays are not working. Adam Gase just gives up all the time. And with four minutes left, you want to do that with two minutes left, a minute and a half, that's fine. Four minutes left, do something. Try and try and move down the field. Try and get something positive going. Something, anything. anything. And uh, yeah, this was, uh, I was going to say Seattle big brother, the Jets, but the, the, this goes beyond being big brother. This was like if the brothers had a difference of 16 years. 
uh, and they went outside to play basketball when one brother is 18 and the other one is six or seven. That, that's what it was. This was. These teams did not belong on the same field. These teams did not belong in the same zip code. It was humiliating. It was embarrassing. And you said it best because in a season like the Jets are having, I'm smart enough not to get angry, but my God, was I frustrated. I'm frustrated by the lack of effort, and I'm certainly frustrated by the fact that the coach gives up. I, 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 I can't even find any other vocabulary to use, but the frustration of seeing the head, the head coach give up. I mean, show some fucking pride. Show some fucking backbone. Say that fight till the last snap. Be like, listen, I know we're down 40 to 3. I'm going to try to score this one goddamn touchdown i'm gonna try to do something we're gonna walk away with at least one positive drive and this guy's like you said well we lost let's just run it out especially with backups in there you got fucking second team guys in there trying if if donald is not good enough you don't trust him against the starters see what he can do with some kind of opening up of the offense uh, against the backups because if Donald gets out there and gets sacked, throws interceptions, throws into coverage and can't get it done against the backups, then you have even more of an answer. But Gase, he never takes an opportunity to learn these things. Never. He is so freaking stupid. I can't even deal with him anymore. I just, I wish I could understand his logic. I wish I could see the logic. I wish I could play devil's advocate and be like, well, okay, I, I see the reasoning there. But what the fuck is, what is the... What is the big difference if, let's say, on that drive, they do what you say, they try to open it up, and they throw a pick six, and they end up losing 46-3? Is it really that much more demoralizing than just throwing in the towel and losing 40-3? to I always go back to Adam Gase and women, right, the, the female analogy. <laughs> this is like a guy who, who walked into a bar and asked a girl for her phone number. She said no, and then he gave up and refused to speak to any other girls because the first girl turned them down. That's what he's like. That's what he's like. You know, any guy... Who who like lives a fairly, I want to say normal because that's that's kind of judgmental. Who lives a fairly standard type of life. By the time they're eighteen or nineteen, they they, they can deal with rejection because you know boys when they're when they're teenagers just they, they're trying everything. They're trying everything Correct. on every girl they possibly can. They get turned down a million times, and by the time you get into your twenties, you're not even upset by being turned down. Now, if you really like someone and you're expecting her to say yes, and she says no, you might be dejected. But but a general like, hey, let's go out for something to drink. No thanks. Okay, see you later. You can on to the next one. You know, no big deal. It's just typical kid shit. Adam Gase is like is like that one kid you know who you know what I just realized as you were telling as you were telling this story I just realized that I have a perfect movie that describes Adam Gase the forty year old virgin yeah exactly he well, stopped yeah, trying. He, yeah he stopped trying he gave up after after one attempt at a phone number and the girl said no and he gave up and refuses to do anything that's Adam Gase he just gives up and that is disgusting as a as a as a head coach it's disgusting as a leader and if he was a head coach of my son's high school team my son's not even in high school yet but when he gets there he i i would be i would be like oh my god you got to get rid of this guy the fact that he somehow is coaching a what's supposed to be an nfl team is just i i don't want to use mind-boggling again i feel like i use that word all the time it's just unfathomable there you go nice five syllable word unfathomable f5 there you go I got nothing more. This week brought another three hours of frustration. It was an expected frustration, but it was frustrating nonetheless. And I just, I got nothing more. There was no positive except that uh, interception by May. And there was a shitload of negatives, but at least uh, I'm conditioned to it this year. So Rams next week, we will do the preview show, but I can tell you that the line 
opened up at 17. So <laughs> I think the Jets have set a record for the most times being three score underdogs. Three scores they are they are underdogs. This is the third time this season. By the time the game went off yesterday, they were 16 point underdogs. They open up at 17 against the Rams. They were 19 against the Chiefs. You know, they were two score underdogs against the Raiders. The smart money is gonna take the Rams because there's no way the Jets are cutting that one. They gotta fly back out to the West Coast for the third time in the past five weeks or so. And uh, you know, get smoked once again. I, I don't see it any other way. I definitely I'll do a little bit of homework. I'll I'll try to mail the prediction but it's it's not looking pretty. All right, my man. We will try a midweek one this week, and uh, I will catch up with you soon. Looking forward, as always. Take care, my man.